Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Okay, having said that, I have a friend up here with me who's gonna help me in just a minute, but I I wanna take you into a hypothetical situation for just a minute, okay? So this is the land of fantasy and pretend. Let's just pretend that um, a pastor was about to preach and he was gonna preach his last sermon uh, for about three months because he's going on a sabbatical. I wonder what would that pastor be tempted to preach about? Now, again, this is only a guess because, I mean, this is hypothetical, but my guess today is that it would be something from the book of Ephesians, and here's why. Because Ephesians is a highly practical book. You know, there are times when you read scripture and, you know, you read a statement, you think, well, golly, that's a great statement, but how do you get from where I am over here all the way up to this uh, biblical ideal? Well, Ephesians very rarely leaves the steps out. It's just, it's one of these these, uh, books where all these high theological principles and these callings of God, Paul puts them on the lower shelf for all of us. And so you have this book that just has this way over and over again of lifting up people who are discouraged, you know, maybe spiritually frustrated. It, it just raises us up. And on the other hand, Ephesians has this wonderful way of, uh, for those who get a little spiritually too big for their britches, just kind of pulling them back down to earth. Um, so today we are going to look at a place in, in, uh, in Ephesians where Paul is very practical. And what he gives us is extremely livable, and it's all about the church, what this is all about, how it happens, what our place is, how we get from uh, point A to point B. And so, my dear Lucy, if you will read for us now, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, this is the Word of God. As a prisoner for the Lord... Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the, all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lucy. All right. 
was kind of fun preparing for this because I asked Lucy to read and she said, sure, I'll read. And then I told her it was 16 verses and she thought, oh goodness, that's a lot. You did a great job with that, sweetheart, excellent. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that what we have heard is the word of God. We thank you for the power of this word, Lord God, that it is living. And that, Lord, you, you take your word and it just, it's like a laser beam, God. It has the ability to cut between joint and marrow and penetrate to the very heart of who we are. And so today, God, we want to have ears to hear. Father, we want to have hearts that respond. Lord, we want to drink this word in and we want to become a product of the word of God. So have your way in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Okay, so what you just heard is actually very, very practical stuff, very livable stuff. So let me, let me take it from the top. Verse one, Paul calls himself a prisoner. Paul says, I, a prisoner, stop. Now, why did I just stop? Because every single one of you with a different translation has a different phrase after the word prisoner. Listen, I, I just give you a few of them. I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord. I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. I, Paul, a prisoner in the Lord. Now, I just, I just told you about most of the translations in this room. This is just one of those places where every interpreter, every translator chose to go with something different. And all of these do have slightly different or maybe majorly different nuances. Um, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. Now, to me, that sounds like Christ has got Paul locked up and he's kind of like the warden. I, uh, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, to me that, that, that sounds like labor. You know, Paul is laboring underneath the commands and the directives of Jesus Christ. I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Okay, now that's really different. Serving the Lord, proclaiming Jesus Christ, has literally got this man locked up in a very real prison cell. And then finally, I, Paul, a prisoner in the Lord. And you can't miss that one. That is a heart statement. That is a man saying, I have been captured and captivated by Jesus Christ. So you've got four different potential meanings. Which one is it? Now, my first answer is, is not going to help much, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's actually a little bit of all of those. But the Greek word here in English, drum roll, is in. E, and it looks like a V in Hebrew, and in actually means in, in, in English. Therefore, Paul is saying, although I am literally in a jail cell, which he is when he wrote Ephesians, I mean, Paul is locked up. Even though I'm locked up in a man's jail, I'm his prisoner. I am captured by this Jesus. I am in love with this Jesus. My heart is just chained to him. And you know, a few weeks ago, we were in Acts 21. Paul makes a statement. I didn't get into this because I was covering eight, eight verses or eight chapters at one time. But you remember when everybody was begging with Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. I didn't read Paul's response. His response was, are you kidding me? I, I, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm ready to die for him. Everything that I have is his. He is my everything. That's what Paul is communicating here. My heart, my mind, my life are chained to Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, look, as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
And suddenly it feels like Paul went from something very specific, he is in the Lord, captured by, by Christ, to we're supposed to live a life worthy of our calling. Paul, what in the world is our calling? Our calling is the same calling of Paul. Here he is inviting us in to the Lord like he is. He's saying, look, I want you to be in Jesus the very same way I am. I would have you, my listeners, way back in the ancient Near East, in, in uh, the 21st century, I, I would have you be captivated with Jesus, in love with Jesus, heart chained to Jesus. And so we hear that and we think, okay, Paul, well, that, that's all well and good, you know, for us to be in Christ like you're in Christ. But again, even though that's a little clear, it's still a little bit fuzzy around the edges. I mean, what in the world does one do to be worthy of being in Christ? Or if I'm in Christ and it shows to the world, how can everybody tell that I'm one of these worthy individuals? Well, very good news, and by the way, that's a question I had for many years of my life. In verse 2, Paul tells us exactly what it means to be worthy of Jesus Christ. He tells us what a person looks like who is in the Lord or on their way into this incredible oneness with, with, with Jesus Christ. He mentions four things, okay? Now, these four things might not excite you at first, but y'all, these four things are wonderful. He, he mentions humility, gentleness, patience, uh, and love, these are the markers of one who is in the Lord. So let me define these real quick, okay? Number one is humility, stepping into humility, being a person who is truly humble. What that does not mean, humility does not mean that we are a doormat for people, you know? Okay, just walk all over me, you know, wipe your shoes on me, you know? I, I, you just, whatever you wanna do, just stomp me down. That is not humility, okay? It never is humility. Humility is also not a life of bowing and scraping before people. Instead, humility is simply this by Paul's definition. It's that when it comes to number one, it's not us anymore. We are no longer number one. Looking out for number one does not involve you anymore. First of all, it is primarily about this great God. And then gulp, it's about everyone else in your world every day of your life. People in the church, people outside of the church. We simply grasp that when we met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, suddenly our lives became about them, about him not all about us. We grasp that other people matter. We, we grasp the value of people. We reach out toward them in a, in a healthy, helping way. And when you stop to think about it, we've just described someone. Me, no, no, I mean, no. We have just described Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus Christ was humble when he was on the earth. I mean, look at him. What was Jesus's life all about? rescuing people in need, helping people up who had been stomped down, helping people who were lost become found. This is Jesus Christ. He emptied himself, right? He expended himself for everyone who is in need. Jesus' personal mission statement, I have come here to set up my kingdom and to rule and to dominate. No, my, my mission, he says, is to seek and to save the lost. I have not come here to be served but I've come here to serve. Folks, that's humility. And being in Christ means stepping into that, pursuing that, embracing that. If we don't feel much that way, praying into it. 
part of what it means to be in Christ. Then there's number two, and it is gentleness, or as some of your translations say, meekness. Now, gentle, okay, it's kind of like humble. We got to start off with what it doesn't mean. Gentle does not mean being wimpy, right? Or, or being weak, or, or if you're truly gentle, you know, you, you speak in a whisper, quiet way. That's not what gentle means. Here's what gentle means. It's a beautiful definition. It means strength under control that is directed towards someone, someone else. It's got that humility kind of feel to it. It's tied to somebody else. You know the best example we can give of the word gentle? And some of y'all are gonna love this and some of you are gonna go, oh no. But listen, the best example, just living example of gentle is the idea, uh, maybe a half century, several centuries ago, of the gentleman, all right? Believe it or not, the, 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 the model of a gentleman, is ex- it just hits the biblical ideal. Here, here's a gentleman, right? A gentleman is a man who has grown up, right? So he's grown up, and he's now strong, and he could use that strength to be a caveman if he wanted to, right? I mean, he could walk around and, ah, uh, you know, just clear a path through, you know, big club like Barney Rubble or, well, actually Fred, but he, he could be a caveman. He could also waste his life being a gladiator, you know, taking on all these ridiculous causes and being macho man, you know, and barreling, knocking people down, you know. I mean, he, he could use his life to dominate, but what did, what does a gentleman do, right? A gentleman shows kindness to people on purpose. He uses that strength to show kindness. He uses his strength to get the door for somebody else. He serves his wife by seating her. He makes himself a servant like that. He directs his intellect and his energies into making the world a better place. And you know, I know in 21st century America, that, that, that's kind of out of fashion, right? Well, it shouldn't be, because that is the biblical ideal of what it means to be gentle. And then there's number three. Number three is patience. Those who are in Christ or moving into Christ, they are developing this thing called patience. They've embraced this thing called patience. Now, Jane and I have someone in our life that we love very much, okay? We're very close to them, but they have kind of a motto. This is why they're remaining uh, nameless. The motto, their motto is, I don't suffer fools gladly. And what he means by that is this. If someone is irritating or annoying or gets on my nerves or talks too much, I don't have time for them. But here's a newsflash. Patience does. Patience has time for people like that. And by the way, any one of us can be that person in just a minute. Let's be honest here. Because see, what patience does is it hangs in there with very aggravating people. You know, it, it does. Or, or, or people who, are, who are, are new in Christ or are lost or, you know, they're not fully grown. They're just in, the, in, in becoming. Patience hangs in there with people. It suffers fools on purpose. And in time, patience suffers fools gladly. So we've got humility, we've got gentleness, we've got patience, and then we have the last one. And knowing the Apostle Paul like you do, you know where Paul's gonna land because he lands his airplane on this runway every single time he does anything. It's love. Being in Christ means stepping into love. We bear with one another, and again, one another is everybody around you in the room, but it's also everybody in your world. We, We bear with one another in love. 
Our life as a believer in Jesus, being heart connected to him, it's just about the good of somebody else, about anyone else, about everyone else, whether they deserve it or whether they don't deserve it, our life is about blessing people. And so this is what it means to live a worthy life in Christ. Now, we can read that as sometimes I'm tempted to do and go, Paul, you gotta be kidding me. There has got to be another way to be in Christ besides you know, exemplifying and living out, I mean, these things, these core character right at the very depths of who we are, there's gotta be another way, you know? Like maybe I could just be super duper religious, you know? Um, you know, Paul, maybe, you know, maybe I, I, I could just be real moral, you know, the most moral person that's ever lived, you know, I could live out the Ten Commandments, and, and by the way, if you lived out the Ten Commandments, you'd actually be living out all the things Paul talked about, but we, we you know, we can chase that, that, that rabbit all we want to. We could say, you know, Paul, I, I'll always be at church all the time. Or Paul, I'll just, I'll put a lot of money in the offering plate. And his response to us would be, no, it doesn't work that way. Except that if you put a lot in the plate, I think you'll be okay. No, I'm kidding. No. Um, but no, it's not like that. But, but seriously, there is only one way. And that's why Paul then goes into this next section, and he just keeps repeating this word over and over and over again. Seven times he uses the word One. And over and over again, he just keeps pointing to unity. In verses three through six, Paul says, look, there is only one Holy Spirit who is forming one body of Christ. There is only one Lord Jesus Christ into whom we we are called into one faith and one hope and one baptism. There's only one God and Father of us all. Or as John Stott says, I think he did better than me on this one, he said, God, the one Father, creates the one family. The one Lord Jesus creates the one faith, hope, and baptism, and the one Holy Spirit creates the one body. And so Paul is just, here he's very subtly, but I think deliberately, he's calling us to this narrow way that we walk into Christ. into this one way, and he even ends it by saying, look, make every effort to keep the oneness to keep the unity of the Spirit, keep it through the bond of peace. Okay, Paul, well, well, what's the bond of peace? Here's a new concept you're throwing at us. No, it isn't, it's everything we just mentioned. The bond of peace is that humility, it's that gentleness, it's that patience, and it's that love for one another. And see, we can even hear that and go, okay, well still, it's a little clearer, all right? I mean, you know, the, the cookies are on the lower shelf, but they still feel inaccessible to me. Because you know, as a human being, I have moments where the the, the things he's mentioned, they are not true about my life. Like the other day when I was driving in traffic, about three of these things were completely missing. I I, kind of missed the mark, you know? Or or when my children ask me the same question for the 19th time, or my boss is the way he is, or y'all, our world is full of stuff that just wants to take, you know, reach in and grab our gentleness and toss it in our humility and all this. So Paul goes on to encourage us in verses seven and eight, and this is where I start to get really excited where he mentions that Jesus Christ has given different graces or different gifts to all of us. Now, what in the world could Paul mean by Jesus Christ giving gifts and graces? Well, this is a reference to the gifts of the Spirit. 
that to every believer, Jesus Christ has given a gift or giftings, meaning gifts of the Spirit. And, and Jesus is so amazing the way he spreads them all around in the church. You know, he gives a word of knowledge over here, you know, an ability for, for a word of wisdom or gifts of healing or, you know, maybe the ability to speak. And by the way, you know, sometimes we say, well, there's only this little list of spiritual gifts. I believe there's a whole lot more in Scripture. I believe there are a lot of giftings of the Spirit, but God gives us th th those to us, and these gifts are a real advantage in our lives. You know, these gifts move us further into Christ because, first of all, you can't really practice them unless you're having a whole lot of faith and trust in the one who's given you this gift, but they are from heaven. They are divine. We weren't born this way, but we were second born this way with gifts of the Spirit, and that is an encouragement. And so we enjoy these gifts as individuals, but you know what we also, he ends here by saying, but each one of us also takes our gift and we bring that gift into the church and we serve with that gift. And as one comes in with this gift and another one comes in with that gift, we come together as the body of Christ and all these gifts are operating together as one body. We can do so much more as an entire church that we can do as individuals. That's an advantage to helping us to live a life worthy in Christ. But then Paul goes on, and in, in verse 11, he mentions another set of gifts that God has given the church, another gigantic, he mentions five graces or five gifts that God has given the church, and these actually aren't things, these are people that God has given to the church, okay? They are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, okay? And these are gifted people that come up from within the body of Christ and they come to lead the body of Christ and to lead in the body of Christ. Here's the thing though about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Let me tell you who they are not. They are not the Justice League. Or if you're a Marvel fan, they are not the Avengers, okay? In other words, it's not like this when it comes to these gifted uh, uh, individuals. I'm apostle, and I'm prophet, and I'm evangelist, and these are our sidekicks, pastor and teacher. It's not meant to be like that. And, and, and we're chuckling over that. You know, I laugh when I think about that, but I've been in churches before where it was kind of like that. And listen, we should give honor where honor is due. When God has raised up a leader, you know, we should put ourselves under their teaching. We should respect them. We should bless them. But listen, they are not on the level of Jesus Christ. Because see, Jesus Christ did it all for the church. These guys are gifted by Christ to serve the church. These gifted ones are not here to save the day for the church of Jesus Christ. They have not come to do it all for the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they have been given to the church for a reason. Get ready for some honor to fall on your heads, okay? They have been giving, given to equip you for service. They have been called to equip the people of God for works of service so that the body of Jesus Christ might be built up. The body might be strengthened. The body might have stature in the community so that when the body takes a step, there is a dent in the ground. Communities are changed. They are here to equip you for works of service until 
We all reach unity in the faith, and we all reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature. And I love this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Jesus Christ has given these gifted individuals to the church for this purpose. And Paul gets even clearer here. He says, you know, that they've been given to, to, so that you will no longer be spiritual infants, so that the church won't always stay in, in, in the cradle, you know, or in the stroller, but instead the people, and, and that means church attenders, just folks who show up now and then. He even defines spiritual infants here. He says, you know, spiritual infancy is just being tossed back and forth. Um, if anyone's ever had a toddler or six of them, you know, you know, with a toddler, it's, it's one of my favorite things about toddlers. They can be so happy, you know, yeah, you know, just all, all full of, see something and uh, just fall apart. That's spiritual infancy. He talks about us being tossed back and forth. That's what it means. Between things like confusion and clarity, you know, darkness and light, sin and, and holiness, being highly motivated and then having no energy at all. This is why they're here to move us beyond that. And also, he adds, a spiritual infant is also someone who is very easily duped by false spiritual teachers. You know, people who show up and, hey, here's the latest, greatest thing in Jesus Christ, and it has nothing to do with the Word of God. Or, you know, hey, if you're really spiritual in the Lord, this is how you'll act, and we just don't find it in Scripture. So they've come to move us out of that place and into this incredible green field of truth and love, standing on the Word of God and just oozing the sweetness of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's one way you can tell when you've got someone who's legitimately a prophet, an evangelist, a, a pastor, teacher, apostle, is that they come preaching truth. And they come loving the body of Christ. And their aim, here, here, here's, here should be the bottom line of, of, of any one of these five gifted individuals sent by Jesus Christ, the real deal. Whatever they are doing, they are not doing it for themselves. So in other words, it's not man, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna build me a great big church. We're going to have a gigantic old budget. Everyone's going to know about this place and this preacher, whatever. It's not like that. Their goal is you. Their heart is you. Everything is about getting you to grow, you to know Christ, you to get lost in worship, you just to be as crazy about Jesus as the Apostle Paul is. That's what it's about. See, the aim of a real apostle, evangelist, prophet, pastor, teacher, the real aim of them is that the church stops being a place and church becomes a people. That's what this is about. And also that the church would cease to be an institution and it would be an organism, a grassroots movement, a body on the move. That's what Paul is all about. That's what he's preaching us toward, calling us toward. So here we are, my last Sunday. Now, I will be here in two weeks for y'all to pray for me, but um, this, is, this is my last little while with y'all for three months, and I'm going to be on a sabbatical. Um, and some people know for the idea of Steve Keller just resting and being still. This is going to be a miracle. It's going to be a miracle, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, but, but here, here's my prayer. Here's what I'm longing for. My prayer is that for our staff, our elders, our deacons, every one of them in leadership, that if 
a certain stronghold exists, that this stronghold will be broken in Jesus' name. And I'm gonna tell you what the stronghold is. The stronghold is the belief that God has called me to do the ministry at KPC. I pray, and, and I know we could argue that into a good place, but, but not, not in this moment. But the belief that God has called us to be the ministry and do the ministry and it revolves around us. My prayer is that that gets demolished if and where it exists and it is replaced with God has called me to equip. God has called me to inspire, to encourage, to lift up, to build up the body of Christ. God has called me to make room for people to step up into ministry. It's one of the great things about Jacob and Ellie and Cooper leaving. You know, I mean, I'm gonna miss them, especially since one of them is my daughter and a son-in-law that, you know, we haven't, haven't had much of that experience lately and I'm just crazy about Cooper, you know what I mean? But the great thing about them leaving is that we let them go with our hands, we have empty hands. We need new people to step in. And I pray that our leadership recognizes that, that they, they, they welcome it. Man, whether it's volunteers or whatever, they're just clearing the deck to call people forward. My prayer is that KPC will be a church where we say, you know what success is? Success is people doing the work of God. It's people stepping onto the front lines. It's people taking their place. It's us even getting in the background if we need to, to, in my case, maybe teach some people how to preach and set them loose. But I, I pray that that grabs us. And so to that end, I'm gonna do something a little awkward. One of two awkward things, by the way. So if the first one's not awkward enough, maybe the second one will be. I want to invite every elder, deacon, staff member, if you are a leader in KPC, I want you to come and stand in the front right now. I'm gonna pray for you. If you are in a principal place of leadership, I'm gonna pray for you right this second. I need you right here, okay? So y'all come on up. Yeah, and they're all looking at me like, man, come on, you gotta tell us when you do this stuff. All right, I'm gonna pray for y'all, okay? So receive this in Jesus' name, every one of you, all right? Yeah, y'all come on. Father God, I thank you in Jesus' name for the leadership you have raised up. God, in this front row, there is so much gifting. There is so much talent. Lord, the hearts of these people. Oh God, we are so grateful for our leaders. And I thank you, God, that I can look down this line and say, I, I can personally testify, these are people who love you. And so, Father, I pray over every one of them in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would break any stronghold within any of us, Lord, because I'm one of them. Lord, break any stronghold or any control in us that keeps us in the driver's seat holding the steering wheel. Lord, deliver any one of us from white-knuckled leadership where we hold the reins and we will not let them go under any circumstances. God, if any one of us is large and in charge, I pray in Jesus' name that we might decrease tremendously, that you might increase and that your body might rise up in Jesus' name. Father, every one of us, Lord, would you make us like Jesus Christ, who he delighted in pouring himself into 12 men for three years. Jesus could have done it all, but he poured himself into 12. Father God, I, Jesus also, when, when he went up to heaven, Lord, he gave his ministry to the next generation. Lord, may we be the same in, in your holy name. God, may our delight be like the delight of Jesus, who he, he just rejoiced and delighted in saving, healing, and growing people up. 
Lord, he sent them out, made them fishers of men. Lord Jesus said to Peter, I say to you, you are Kepha the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Lord, would you give us the heart of Jesus, and may our greatest delight be raising your children up into being ministers and world changers. Father, again, I thank you for this leadership team, and I just ask, even as they have braved it to come on up here, I ask that you would anoint each one of them afresh with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now don't move, okay? Now all you leaders, I want you to go stand around the body of Christ. Stand up in aisles, and I'm gonna pray for the body. Just find a place, an empty spot, stand around someone, and we're gonna pray over this congregation as well, all right? This fun. It's an interactive church, Scott, see? All right, let's pray in Jesus' name. Father God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for these children. And I, I, Lord, just, just for this body, I thank you that you have called every person in these pews, you have called them your church. You have called them your beloved. Lord, you have conferred names of priests and kings upon the people of God. You have said that they will do the work, the very same work that you have done. And so God, I'm praying for each one of them right now. In their hearts, there would be a new longing and a new desire and that it would become a burning desire to just step into the fullness of Christ, to step into the ministry that you have given them. And Lord, this is not like the church that I grew up in where, you know, we used to lay guilt trips on people if they weren't doing enough, not that Lord God, but that of a place of, of real longing and desire. Your people would begin to just enter into, into things like discipleship, into relationship with one another. They would see these little holes or hear about these little opportunities here and there, and their heart would say, yes, that's me. So, Father, would you do that? And, and God, wherever there is dread for ministry, I ask you to replace it with delight, Lord. Wherever there, there is disappointment, I pray that you would replace that with desire. Father, there are people in this room as well who they've experienced church hurt. Maybe they tried to serve in the church in times past, a church, maybe even this church, and they just felt turned away, or they, they felt like their offer to help was just, just went unnoticed. Father God, I thank you in Jesus' name for just sealing and healing that in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord God, for, for your folks that, God, they will step into worship and instruction. I thank you that around this room, Lord, there are some folks in here, they are preachers, they are teachers, they are evangelists, prophets, apostles, and they just don't know it yet. Well, Lord, I ask you to just begin, begin to awaken that knowledge of calling in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, at the end of the day, I pray that KPC will not be known because it has a great pastor or a great pastoral team or, or, or great worship. We certainly want that, Lord. But I pray that we will be known by our people. I pray that we will be known by our body. And I just thank you, Lord, that this isn't something we're hoping against hope for because, Lord, you've started this. You've been doing this kind of thing for years here. But Lord, we're just praying that there would be an exponential leap into our effectiveness for you, the fullness of your spirit at work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much. Listen.
Uh, kind of the subtext of this whole sermon was this, that with me going on a sabbatical, this is an incredible opportunity for the body of Christ. I'm excited for our pastors as, as they step into a whole lot more preaching. But I'll tell you this, I cannot wait to see what I return to in three months. I cannot wait to hear stories of, oh my gosh, that person is doing what now? This person, I, I, y'all, I cannot wait. And I'll just say this as a parting word before I see you in two weeks briefly is, I love this church dearly. I love every one of you dearly in Christ. And um, I will be seeing you again just in time for the holidays. May God bless you and keep you and move you and use you and surprise all of us in what he does in the interim in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.